It's the best communication by people are the ones who can speak like a fifth grader. And that throws people off because they're like, no, I'm a leader. I need to speak with wisdom. I need to make sure everyone respects me. And sure, that's authentic to yourself, but no, you no one gives a shit about what you have to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cheers to our second podcast. Cheers, yes. I'm so excited. All right. This is quite an adventure because, you know, knowing you and when you drink your wine, you tend to get a little bit creative and a little bit excited. (laughs) (laughs) What's up with your new hairband these days? You look really cute. I know, right? Is that like your new vibe or new brand? I went on Amazon and I ordered a bunch. How much did it cost? It was so so cheap. Nine bucks for like 12 pack. For it's, 12 packs? It's a, yeah, it's personal branding. So now when people look at Simi, they're like, oh, she's the girl with the headband. Now can they're just going to remember you, can me. Can you find me something like a bandana no. maybe? or Is that your definition of authenticity if you wore a headband? Oh my God, you had to take me down the rabbit hole. Well, let me ask you, what is authenticity? That's a deep yeah, question. Yeah, take a crack. My definition of authenticity has evolved as I've grown. Like I'm only 23, but I feel like I really started getting into like this introspective, deep, like who the hell am I mode, like when I was 20. And what I've realized is that I think a lot of us think authenticity is this thing that you just are or you're not. And I think it's just way deeper than that because what you could think of as authentic to yourself could be way different three years or five years from now. Like for me, when I started social media, I felt like my definition of authenticity was like bringing out a different image and different persona. I honestly would say I was less convicted in my ideas and my thoughts. And I feel like at that point, I really thought I was authentic because I was documenting who I was and what I was going through and what I was experiencing because I didn't know who I was at that point. So that was authentic to me, right? But then three years later, I now know who I am. And so my communication style, the way I speak about my ideas, what I believe about certain things, whether they're controversial or not, that is authentic to me. And so now my definition of authenticity is like speaking my truth. Whereas 20 year old Simi would probably be like, no, like that's people who like are too polarizing or too disruptive. Like that's, that's not me. That's not authentic to me. Now it's like so much different. And I feel like that's something a lot of people go through, especially as a creator, because so often like people who follow people who are building online brands, they follow them at certain phases because they feel authentic to them at that phase. But then what happens, right? People evolve like Mona Vaughn. Remember Mona Vaughn? She went through this phase like where she was just not on social media for such a long time because her interest started evolving. Like she started off sharing things about wellness, but then her interest started expanding. And so what happens when you stop really living in authenticity, you probably face creative burnout. You probably start, you start losing your passion and your interest for your craft, you know, and that happens to a lot of people. So I feel like that's my definition of authenticity. Just making sure that you're really self-aware about your identity right now and making sure that's in alignment with how you're communicating to the world. Oh my God. You, you've thrown so many, I don't know who's really drinking. You or I. I get the best ideas when I drink. Oh my God. So you'll have to bear with my rambling a little bit here because you've just thrown these so much but i have to tell you simi the level and the depth of clarity as it relates to authenticity that you're bringing to the table is i've raised you well oh (laughs) yeah kids teach parents too (laughs) having said that okay so you were i think in my opinion right because i don't care what how this is perceived in different ways because your definition of what you were authentic when you were a kid, when you were growing up and how you documented it, you thought you were authentic and that's exactly what it is because you did not camouflage who you were internally and who you expressed outside, right? So from a personal standpoint, 
the way you feel and the way you express and the way you articulate your emotions, your relations um, to the external world, whether it's co-workers, your family or friends, is exactly what authenticity is. It's, it shouldn't have to be some complicated mumbo jumbo of stuff. Now, you see content creators, very good content creators that say, listen, do not worry about anything. You have to be authentic. You have to be authentic. What is that? Bro? Exactly. But very little is said about authenticity, an authentic leader, an authentic uh, creator, an authentic influencer, right? So that, to me, it is about that individual level, which is what you described, regardless of the journey or regardless of the age where you are in, right? You were young. You didn't know about it. You know, so about you, what? About what? What an authentic person is. You basically spoke what you felt and at the journey where you were in. Now, as you mature, you pick up so many different things, and then you say, "Oh wow, I need to get attuned with this word authenticity." And now you start, you know, you start getting more consciously aware of this word. And sadly, you start picking up these things that you have to pretend to be this. Yeah. You have to dress up to be like this. You have to speak like this. Now, speak from my personal viewpoint. Maybe, not maybe, I will confess <laughs> that I was freaking inauthentic. When? Actually, I could see that being true, Loki. I probably, if you ask me the definition of what you were when Simi was X age, right? Young, the younger Simi. You're still young compared to me, right? Don't. <laughs> but the point is... Don't say that. You are. That's, it's, okay, it's, what's your point? What's your the point? The point is, when I was working through the system, I was confused between diplomacy and... Um, Disruptive. Being, being not able to ruffle somebody's feathers. How will the other person feel? I Because I was working in different mediums, remember. So I have to make sure that I'm talking to this, somebody, this person of position and power. So I have to be careful about the way I feel. Or you come so, across. So I would come back, you know, mincing my words and then maybe have a water cooler conversation with a cooler, with, with, a, with a co-worker and say... You know what? This is what happened. Then I is that in authenticity? Probably it is because I should have taken the moment and the time where certain conversations happened and I should have speak, spoken my heart, which I did not. I have to confess, I would be lying to you if as a growing adult, I minced my words or I didn't mince my words. I minced my words because I felt a certain way and I did not call it out at that point in this boardroom meeting with people double my age at that point and I did not say it the way I felt it now the reason for that is because you know you have to remember time difference the generation today uh, digital medium all of the stuff that we talk about authenticity and creativity and expression and identity and evolution none of this stuff existed way back no, then you're right. so you have to you have to say that right so while I say I was inauthentic I accept it I will also say that authenticity is just as simple as how you feel and how you express. Yeah, it's also hard, right? Because like when you're at work, you it's so hard to be to speak your ideas because so many of us worry, how am I coming across? Will this person I'll hate get fired. me? I'll get fired. They'll think I'm an asshole. And it's just like, you know what I've realized, Dad? I've realized that I respect, the people I respect the most are the ones who are just so unapologetically candid in their ideas and what they mean and what they say. Like, let's be real. Just a few minutes ago, I overheard you on a phone call with someone and you just called out the bullshit. And, <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, I was like, 
dad maybe like in 2021 would have probably not as not been that candid that. in your advice because yep. you were doing a business consulting call with this whole with with that with that team and that actually inspired me because it made me realize as a woman I'm only going to speak for women. So many women are just so afraid to be disruptive because I think there's this societal stigma where if a woman is disruptive, she's like a bitch. But if a man is disruptive, he's respected. Stop there. That's important. And it's not feminism. I'm not trying to be a feminist. Yeah, and that's important, right? So you, this is another conversation in deep dive. Women talking their heart out is this, is is viewed Dis- separately and yeah. a man talking his heart out is empowered, right? Um, Do you see where I'm coming from? Like, I, I see where you're coming from. and I think men, I, I notice men tend to call women like, oh, she's too masculine because she she's just being too disruptive or like speaking too honest. When in reality, like sure, there's some women who like come off as like really, you can, you can get to that extreme. But I noticed that something about a woman being so convicted in herself really ruffles people's feathers. I'm not going to say for men, it's even for women. Like also women get intimidated by women who are just very convicted in their self-expression because it shows a level of deep rooted confidence, like not external confidence, deep conviction in who you are as a person. And I think the reason it triggers people is because they're not convicted and there's a layer you, of inauthenticity. Okay. It takes you back, all of this conversation takes you, takes you back to the family, right? How was the girl raised? How was, if there was a sibling who was a boy, how was he raised? And what kind of values were put into you? Now, when we raised you and Rohit, we raised you with almost equality, right? Yeah. Although Simi will say that, Rohit will say, my son, my son, for the for those who are watching here, he'll say, I always had a soft corner for you, which I do. You I had a soft corner for me? I, I agree. I, I agree. Do. It's I like did. a daddy, daughter but vibe. Here's, but here's what I told, I remember distinctly telling him once, I said, listen, and I, we had this father-son relationship, just as we have this father-daughter convo. I don't know if I shared this with you. I said, listen, this is the hard reality of life. It is as bad as it What's sounds. What's the reality? And the reality is, think of you going to college. You went to Gainesville, University mm-hmm. of Florida, great college. And let's say Rohit went to the same college. He went to a different college. But let's say he went to the same college. The guys can go out in their tank tops in the middle of the night, past midnight, to 7-Eleven and get a six-pack beer. Uh-huh. Agree? If a girl does the same thing, <laughs> what is going to happen? That was a fatherly fear. So yeah. I had to sit him down in his younger years and say, listen, when you become a dad, you become a father, you'll you become it. a parent, you'll get it. Now, so there is that, you still have to respect that difference between the kid and the parent. And that is where this whole thing comes around. But the point that you made about empowered women, right? It becomes the moral obligation of families to empower the girls who become empowered women in the future. But here's what I would call you out on now today, which I think you are doing that and badass way. And I applaud you for that, right? And I, and I hope that 10,000 more badass young girls kind of join you. And that is, it becomes the moral obligation of this badass women, <laughs> right? In your age and above you to lead a movement so that it changes the paradigm. It's a very complex conversation. The girl growing in a family becomes a girl, the woman grown up. The woman growing up becomes somebody who's working in the workplace. Somebody who's working in the workplace becomes part of a board. And then the same people in the boardroom are complaining about 
you know, the, the women in the boardroom and, and there's a complete gender parity in a boardroom. So anybody who's part of a board, CEOs and whatnot, take a look at the diversity. Forget the DEI training and the diversity, equity and inclusivity training. If you don't find equity in the boardroom, then who is to blame? Is it the board member who are men to blame? Let's, I was in boards and I saw the, the disparity between men and women. Actually, a good friend of mine posted on LinkedIn when COP, the next conference of parties, which is a huge event that happens. The most recent one was in Dubai. What is it called? COP? Uh, COP. Oh, it's yeah. all about okay. climate and stuff, yeah, yeah. right? We talk about I've climate change. The next COP that is happening, when the board, the organizing committee got announced, guess what? Not a single woman on that conference of parties, which is like a worldwide uh, get together of people that talk about climate go? change, not one woman. So why? A, a good, they weren't invited? The, the people who were entrusted to kind of build a board to co organize such a mega worldwide event didn't have a single woman in it, right? So I saw LinkedIn post and I said, this is crazy. In today's day and age, you see this in the world stage, right? So now if you bring it down into a company stage, into a board stage, forget the board, then you bring it out into the co-worker stage, look at that. Then you look at it at the family stage, right? And then you look at it at a personal interaction stage. There are different degrees of challenges, girls, women, I'm talking about empowered women that face. Why should they go through this struggle? And I don't say this very lightly. I say this because I have a daughter. <laughs> I'm a parent. Me. Right? So it's not... You know not what's crazy though, Dad? They're even connect this to venture capital. Like if you look at venture capital, there is such a big gap between men venture capitalists and female ca venture capitalists. It's like 99% men. Why isn't there exposure for women in the venture capital space? Is that just intimidating for women? Well, like, I don't know. Yes, no. Yes and no, right? Because most women, right, by nature or virtue of what it is, tend to gravitate mostly on the softer side of things, maybe. That's true. In the tech and the AI world, they probably That's don't true. feel it. Now, I don't know the research behind it on why, right? I know some amazing women in the engineering field who do some crazy badass stuff. Yeah. Right? I mean, they'll put some men to shame. Why does that happen? Were they at the right place at the right time? Did, was it their right brain and the right brain and the left brain getting exposed to the right place? Was it their parents who actually influenced them? Right? We don't know, right? But there are some crazy great women who are amazing doctors. Some of them weren't has have won uh, Nobel prizes. Do and you stuff. think they intimidate men? Do you think like do you from a man from a man's perspective? Because I've I've always been curious about this topic, and we're gonna get deep into relationships right now because it just came to my mind. Maybe you won't say the answer that I'm seeing a lot of people say, but what, I'm, what I've noticed, <laughs> I'm getting excited. What I've noticed is that women, and this is research, this is like men have said this in many different comment sections on Reddit everywhere, because I've Googled it. They say, when a woman is empowered, ambitious and successful, it bothers men. Because apparently those women tend to be 
very rooted in their masculine. Like they're more logical, assertive because they've had to be to be successful, right? A woman who's more softer, you would say that she's more in her feminine. And so what I've noticed is that a lot of women who are exactly what we're saying empowered, they sometimes fall into this identity where they've lost touch with that more you know, biological core of what it means to be a woman. And so what I've noticed is that men tend to actually get really irritated by women who are empowered and disruptive because at their biological core, it just feels very, it feels very wrong. I feel personally that a woman can be both disruptive and still be soft. Like I, I, I feel like I have the balance of both, but it goes back to like what a man, I'm curious what a man thinks. Like maybe I'm, I'm curious what you have to say about this. Okay, I, I needed to have a sip of wine for this. And be, you, speak, be honest. I'll be honest. I'll be like, as raw as I can, right? <laughs> I'm not going to camouflage this shit, right? Because this is, this is important. Um, a husband-wife relationship, relationship at home. I said relationship. <laughs> relationship. <laughs> a husband-wife husband uh, relationship uh -huh. at home, right? There's this alpha personality, right? Or there is this yin and the yang. Or you say there's a common... Shiva Shakti. There's, yeah, there's a common understanding between the man and the woman who says, okay, how are we going to work as a team, as a family, as a unit? Because we've come, decided to come together and raise a family. Now, over there, sometimes one person ends up taking like a subduing role for good or the bad, right or wrong. Yeah. They decided to do that more power to them, nothing right, nothing wrong. But when you take it in the workplace, if you allow that same personality Submissive. of yours, if you're a man or a woman, doesn't matter, an alpha male or an alpha female, the one who calls the shots. Yeah, yeah, way. yeah. Or if it is a balance, it's amazing, right? But frequently there's no balance, right? Sometimes you see that somebody's taking the shorts Frequently, the person who's, who's making a living and somebody who's make, running the household, whatever. If you take that same concept and you bring it in the workplace and you say, okay, at home, I behave like an alpha male or an alpha female. How do I behave at work? Are you behaving differently at work than differently at home? Now, all of a sudden, there's this dichotomy in personality, maybe. I don't know. To me, personally, at home, I was the same as I was at work. I think it's that for a lot we of had, people. We didn't... We had a yin-yang relationship with, with mom, right? But it wasn't that, like an alpha male or an alpha female. We respected each other's... Yeah, there was polarity. We, we respected each other's viewpoint. And somehow there was consensus through conversations. And then we would say, okay, this is what we will agree to. Now you bring it at the workplace. What happens is if the male or the female, right? Depending on the personalities, they... they they kind of emulate or they wear or they represent themselves it also depends on how they see the co-worker in that in that mold you know what i mean yeah. do they see the co-worker as a co-worker as an equal or they do they tend to kind of carry on their personalities from their other familiar uh, role in a family and then they kind of bring it here and say listen in the family i'm the hierarchy i'm the alpha i make those decisions who the heck are you to tell me this? Yeah. Doesn't matter if it's a male or a female, no. mind you. So it could be a female at home that's actually the more empowering and, and the, the husband is like, okay, you call the shots. Yeah, and we see that. There's so, some people so who are that like is, that. So that is one domain. Now you asked me to be raw. Yeah, be raw. Now the raw is where the physical comes in. The attractiveness comes in. Yeah. Right? Some men are attracted to alpha women. 
some alpha male women are attracted to alpha males. This is going to get controversial. Do you? I'm not going to ask you to go down this rabbit hole. We won't. Okay. We need we need a we need a therapist in that conversation. But do you broadly agree with that? What that there's an alpha male who's attracted to a f- a female and a male, right? A girl and a boy, a man or a woman. There's chemistry. What are the ingredients of a chemistry? Does there's this frequent thing that the girl there's this there's this enough research that says a growing up girl looks for certain ingredients in her fiance, in her husband, yeah. in her role model, similar to what she saw in the fatherly figure yeah. that she was raised with. You agree with yeah, that? Yeah, that's well okay. that's science has proven that. Like Okay. Yeah, for so, sure. So so if if that is the case, right, in the workplace if an alpha female, somebody who's empowered, um, strong, raised in a family that had core values and said, you know, I don't care if you're a girl or a boy, you are going to be given all the luxuries, all the decision making, doesn't matter how you want to dress, how you want to talk, doesn't matter, boy or girl, it's the same thing, right? That girl growing up becomes a young woman, becomes a young professional, gets married, so on and so forth, and gets into this workplace corporate environment. And now all of a sudden in the corporate environment, you have all these male men who view things differently because people come from different walks of life, different cultures. Today we are a global society. People come from different upbringings. Now you are raised in this environment where you are given total liberty, but you come into this popery of people, including men and women, and you have to blend in that environment as a person of authenticity, of individuality, of yep. self-expression, of things that you were given a complete latitude to do anything and everything you desired, but now you're in the confines of this workplace that you have to confirm. Right. So how does that conformity, that's the word. Conformity? Conformity. Yeah. How does that actually make you authentic or inauthentic, right? Because you, and that's where I came from. I want to take it one full circle that when I said I was inauthentic is I had all the luxuries and leeways to do what I wanted to do in terms of expression. But I come into this environment where I feel uh, insecure. I feel- You felt insecure? Insecure because of the fear of being fired. Do you think that we, in our brains, we exaggerate this fear of like people disrespecting us or not liking us or getting fired? Do we exaggerate that in our heads when we choose to not conform? I feel like it's almost worse in it our heads. It's a real problem. It's to, a real, really? it's a real feeling. Yes. Um, from my viewpoint, you know, people get to work, people experience things. How open are we? How, okay, let's get into a private sector or the public sector, right? Government or private sector. Are there forums that you're allowed to speak your mind? I, I, I guess not because you were in there for so many years. I still remember in the private sector growing up, right? This was amazing. So we had this thing called 360 evaluation, meaning you evaluate me, I evaluate you and everybody evaluates the boss. So when it came down to evaluating the boss, uh, everybody spoke about him. Everybody were like nasty about him. About the boss? About the boss. He was a young guy, by the way, who was also my mentor, which I said in, my, in the previous podcast, who did all this project management stuff. Uh-huh. But everybody said not very good things. Why? Because they said that this man walks into the office early in the morning at 8 o'clock and he just walks past. He walks past the secretary's office. He walks past the other engineer's office. He goes all the way to his corner office 
and he doesn't even bother to say good morning. You know what's interesting? Like, it's so interesting that this boss had such a negative, or no, that people had such a negative impression of this boss simply because of the gesture of him not acknowledging people. And what this reminds, sorry, what this reminds me of is just the power of nonverbal communication and how much that influences people's perception. Because this is a topic that I've talked about in some of my videos, just about the power of nonverbal communication, how that relates to charisma and how that actually makes you a better leader. And I personally have seen research that says that people judge you the most based on like your body language and your nonverbal communication. Like what is your, what are your facial gestures emoting? Like, are you serious? And like, you've seen people that look really intimidating to the face, even though they could be and really, And I've been really told nice. that by the way. Yeah, you do look intimidating. I was told by my former boss, I love him dearly. Uh, he's retired since. Uh, he's actually like a mentor, a coach, almost like a fatherly figure. He said you're intimidating? He told me once, he says, Hardeep, you know, uh, people say that you're unapproachable. Are you serious? Yeah. And I'm like, that's a great point. I'm like, wow. And then another story is, I was in a big meeting with all of my staff in my former, former place, not the most recent place. We were in this big conference room of maybe 200 people. And I was changing systems and processes because I was always about efficiencies in the workplace. Even when this whole AI and tech and the data stuff wasn't there, change processes. If you have to go from A to Z and you have to go to B and C, and this is in government, notorious for processes, right? Make a call, take a call, paper, this, that. This is when digital stuff wasn't there. And I was bringing about change. You were always innovating was, faster than I the I was workplace. a little ahead of my no, time. No, you were. Which, don't, which is, don't underestimate that. I was you way were. ahead of my time. Yeah. So, you know, and where I evolved was things that I have learned, if you have to take me to 20 years ago, is you have to meet people first where they are, right? And I'm first to admit I really effed up because I didn't know. Is that I why really... you were unapproachable? Because you no, didn't meet so, people so where they are? No, so hear this out. So, so, so he says, well, people are very, they think you're intimidating or unapproachable because I talk all this crazy stuff. <laughs> I'm like, but, but you know, now, now is that my authentic self? Or do I fake it and become an in inauthentic self? Or am I an outlier and I become a hermit somewhere in the freaking Himalayas? Right? <laughs> what do I do? I don't know unless someone tells me, Hardy, go take, go, go, go get a life. Because you're a misfit here. Nobody said that to me. Nobody wanted but to fire me. It. On the contrary, they kept promoting me to a point where I came to a point where I have to make change. We were like some 25,000 inspections behind schedule for, for decades, for years. Maybe not decades, for years. And I made a case and I said, listen, this is not acceptable. This is, ex this is what we need to do, blah, blah, blah. So call for a big meeting, change the whole processes, metrics, measurements, real process. So I get, I get, uh, you know, being, I give, get all these nicknames, the bean counter. Oh, I'm all about counting beans. And so listen, what does that mean? Counting meaning beans? like you're, you're counting small things here. And I said, listen, we are in public service. That doesn't mean that you have an open checkbook. You're spending taxpayers dollars. That, that means you have a fiduciary accountability to the taxpayers. And you may not be in the business of making a profit, but who said that you're in the business of making a loss? You're in the you're in the public sector. Why don't you have the same accountability in having balance sheets and profit and loss statements like any other public sector has, regulated by the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission? Right? If you're a public tra publicly traded company in your stocks, you are 
answerable to your investors and the SEC regulates you. So, so I was coming from that paradigm. I'm and like, no one, no one, no one just kind of well, connects. They, like, they understood the logic behind it, but you're disrupting the very fabric of their existence. When you disrupt the fabric of an existence in a boardroom, men and women, gender parity, when you ideas, exist, beliefs, when you everything. exist, when you disrupt the fabric of the conversation I'm having, there's a problem. So he said, "Well, for these reasons, people feel that you're unapproachable." I'm like, "I, that wow, sucks. so so that that sucks." So now, what has what has it done to my DNA? What has it done to my? What fabric? did that make you believe about yourself? Well, when, when I need people the damn job. Okay. I, I shouldn't say damn, but I needed the job because I was in this, it, it was a bunch of reasons. Um, then I needed to be making sure that, you know, there's this inner thing of acceptance. It's human. Yeah, right? you wanted acceptance. You want to be part of a damn tribe. It's in our DNA to yeah. seek social belongingness. It's human, right? Uh, call it validation. That's the hard no, fact. No, yeah, it is. Whole, yeah. So I'm like, you know, I'm doing all these things with the goodness of my heart. I really firmly believe in it. I think this is a decision. I have a fiduciary accountability and responsibility to make change. And in the process, I, I've been hired to do this job, not to sit and do this analysis paralysis. I've been hired to do this job because of the experience I've had. And we will tweak things as we go. But we don't have the luxury of time in doing this analysis paralysis. We will make change today because we have a huge backlog of work that we need to do. And how would people respond to that? And like, we need we owe it to the environment. Well, people didn't respond it well. The next thing I realized, the union is in this big conference room with my staff sitting at the back. And I'm like, you know, you were not invited to this meeting. Why the heck are you here? Well, we choose to be. I said, well, I'm sorry. You're not in this meeting. This meeting is off. I called the meeting off and I walked away. I go back to my mentor i won't call him my boss because he's a mentor and a Damn. friend so i go back to him and we talk about the same thing and and, and we, we pursue but then i call the i call the same group of people in another meeting without the unions and i said listen we are here as a team we spend a lot of time i try to be as authentic as original as straightforward as i could but you also have to remember that those people were scared those people were worried what is going to happen. So when that group comes together, you're one against many. Agreed? Yeah. Okay. When you're one against many, it's the survival of the fittest. Agreed? Yep. So many years later, I realized that I had to meet them first where they were. So I asked them in that group, I said, you know, I'm part of you here. We have, we're a team. We spend eight hours. You know, I'm talking the stuff that I would now normally talk my the younger self. And I said, so what is it that I should be doing so that we can move forward as a collective front? I'd really like to hear. That's deep. I mean, tell me what should I be doing, right? And I'm all open. There's one guy who mustered the courage and I applaud him for that. He what says, say? and I would never, ever in my remotest dream expect that somebody would say that. Guess what that person said? What did said? he say? He says, it's your tie. Your tie made you intimidating? Interesting. And so right in well, the middle. Well, people weren't wearing ties no, at work? No, they were all workers and in inspections in the field. And I'm this executive, right? Because I used to meet with attorneys. I'm meeting with oh. lobbyists. I'm meeting with government officials. I'm meeting with assistant directors. Damn. So I, my attire. Made you intimidating. Made me intimidating. Wow, that's deep. So right in that meeting, I stripped the tie. 
How? When was this? Like a while this ago? This was when I was in, in the former organization. Oh my when I was God. In. So I took the tie off. And then I started reflecting. Oh my God. And ever since then, it kind of became a part of my evolution. The point here is authenticity is sometimes, yes, how you feel and how you express. But more than that, it is also about knowing the people that you're dealing with. That's deep. And... So if my inner personality is being well, dressing well, presenting well like you are today, and if you're going to meet blue-collared workers tomorrow and you're going to talk to them about, let's say, let's pick a topic. Let's say you're going to talk to them about mindfulness uh-huh. or, 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 emo- or emotional yeah. intelligence and being able to relate to one another. And you come in with this super-duper well put together personality looking like a celebrity how are you going to be perceived how are you going to be accepted so maybe, interesting maybe maybe one school of thought will say you're totally disconnected girl you're in the stencil world of your nice little place drinking a tropi chopo or topi chopo whatever you're drinking you freaking don't know what we go through on a daily basis it's true though but the other person will say okay are you going to come in your sweatpants and sweatshirts and sneakers and and be this badass person and say listen i know where you're coming from and i'm going to talk to you and you're going to use the f words with them because that's what they do yeah. Are you going to do that? It's so interesting. And so what's the social acceptance? Now, yeah. if you do that, are you inauthentic? It's a question for you. Answer that. I think this is so deep because we can go many directions with this, right? Like, let's go with the example of you doing a keynote presentation and it was about mindfulness and you were talking to this certain demographic of people, right? Maybe they're more lower, mar- maybe they're marginalized. So like lower income, right? I feel like it is in your best interest to develop the emotional and conversational and interpersonal intelligence to make sure you meet them where you're at. And my, bear with me, right? Let's put away like the, the poverty, let's put away the income status, right? I think when you are speaking to a person, you need to keep in mind of how you're portraying yourself. Now you could think that, oh, me coming in this blazer outfit looking like a badass, you may think that's authentic to yourself, but like you have to also ask yourself, what are the problems deep rooted in your audience that what are they facing and how can you make sure in those first five seconds where you're on stage talking to them that you build trust with them? Because the foundation of building connection with everyone is trust. Now we think trust comes from simply conversing with people but it goes back to this whole tie issue that you had trust is in how you're presenting yourself what you're wearing what your facial gestures are showing how your body language is feeling i remember when i did my ted talk right there was this one person and i don't want to you know it's sad because he messed up on stage and you saw it (laughs) but i remember the day before the rehearsal i met him right and the first thought that came to my head was he looks intimidating and you want to know why it's because of what happened with you because he was wearing a tie and I went there in my like whack ass shorts and my like white socks and sneakers with no makeup, no hair done because I was going there to practice, but this guy was fully dressed, right? And I thought, oh, he looks like really intimidating. Like I'm a little bit nervous now. And it's just so interesting, right? Because when he introduced himself to me, oh my God, dad, like he was so warm and charismatic and inviting. He asked me questions about myself. What is your talk about? asking everyone and I didn't do that I wasn't asking people around me because I was like focused on making sure I can memorize my talk and I remember that moment and it reminded me that we create accusations judgments and perceptions of people in those first three seconds of meeting them 
And so that is why when you ask me that question, to me, the way I think of it, like I want to make sure that who I'm speaking to, I understand who they are, what they're struggling with and what their objections or biases can be towards me. Because that takes a high level of emotional intelligence to be able to put yourself in someone else's shoes and be like, okay, if I show up this way, if I talk this way, will this person get me or will they judge me? Because everyone has biases and mental models of whatever they've gone through, right? So as a leader or as an individual or as a creator, you have to be so mindful of what you're communicating and how that's coming to across to another person. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't be authentic and you can't speak your mind, but who are you speaking your mind to in the first place? And is that going to be perceived in the right way by the other person? And I think that is just how I approach communication. And I think that's just helped me build way better connections with my community because I see them where they're at. And this is the problem that I feel like a lot of older people like struggle with, like no offense. I think what happens because there's a lot of older people who want to build brands, who want to share their ideas. And there's people like that in my community. And what I notice when I study their brands, because I do this, I'm so passionate about it, is that they're so smart, right? Like they're so smart, dad. Like you're so smart. Experience, right? Life experience. Yeah, they have so much wisdom. But depending on the platform that you're speaking to, like let's say you're making TikToks or Instagram, you have to remember who you're speaking to because you could have all of the knowledge about what it means to be a great leader, have all of the science about what it means about peak performance, but who are you speaking to? Who is who is your audience and who's on that platform and how can you make sure that you cater your communication style so yeah. that you're receptive to those people? And that's why they say like, speak like a fifth grader. They say this, the best communication by people are the ones who can speak like a fifth grader. And that throws people off because they're like no I'm a leader I need to speak with wisdom I need to make sure everyone respects me and sure that's authentic to yourself but no you no one gives a shit about what you have to say (laughs) (laughs) okay all right so everything you said right because so bottom line I want to pick catch up on something you said about speak like a fifth grader but I want to bring closure to this authentic stuff um I think the realization is screw this dictionary meanings, be who you are, bottom line, right? But know your audience. Now, whether you change your approach based on the audience is authentic or inauthentic, that's a debate. I don't think so because it's about knowing your audience. It's about conscious awareness. You're elevating yourself and saying, listen, I'm communicating with you. I'm making my viewpoint available to you, but I'm also a coach. A leader needs to be agile, nimble, adaptive to circumstances. You cannot be speaking the same way to your boardroom as you speak to your blue collared workers and vice versa. So authenticity is a function, not a function of consistency, but it's a function of speaking your heart. And if you have to politicize this a bit, even though I don't want to, let me let me use Donald Trump, President Trump. You right? can disagree with his philosophy. I'm not, yeah, get, I'm not politicizing yeah. it. But I'll tell you something, regardless of which side you fall on, right? The man is consistent about the way he speaks. Agree? I totally agree. Forget the politics of it, or demeaning or not demeaning, respectful or not respectful. I would actually say if you ever come across a politician and they say politics is diplomacy, beware of diplomacy because you're speaking from both sides of your mouth. So you're saying if a, if a politician is diplomatic, like they're just agreeable? Yeah, I think a politician should stand for certain values. And communicate them clearly. And communicate them, like you said, like a fifth grader. Yeah. Don't, don't camouflage these words. The moment you camouflage these words, there's something called switch the button. 
on the remote. Yeah, Move on. That's so right? true. Moveon.org. Like yeah, because said. when you look at Donald Trump, right? Like put all the context of what his ideologies are aside. When I look at Donald Trump, I am not thinking to myself, he doesn't mean what he says. I'm fully looking at him and I'm like, you mean what you say. I may not agree with it. People may not agree with it. He's Let's unapologetic He's about it, right? Same with Kanye West. Yeah. Like, and we talked about that. Same with Lady Gaga. So yeah. now, now it is the expression. Now these are celebrities. Okay, so that's important. Celebrities get viewed in a different, uh, in a different way right. because they become the subject of a dinner conversation or a water cooler conversation or a happy hour conversation, and we all we all go home saying, "Oh, we talked about Donald Trump," or we talked about Lady Gaga, right? Depending on mm -hmm. what you want to talk on that that particular time. But when you take a common person, the CEO of a company a leader of a department, right? The common people, the, the everyday people who are not necessarily celebrities still, when they take the same approach, how are they going to be viewed, right? Because now they don't have the luxuries of Donald Trump. They don't have the luxuries of Lady Gaga. They don't have that fan base. They don't have that, right? They can protect themselves. They can file lawsuits. They yeah. can file defamation suits. They can do all that. Even though they, I'm sure they have their own problems, but I give them kudos to come out as people of individuality. Like I give them recognition yeah. to say, listen, you had the spine and the backbone not to worry about what people think of you. Yeah. You're living with Look that legacy. Gaga, you're going to go dress. to you're going to go to your grave with that legacy. Yeah. And you're proud of that legacy. So I give you accolades, good or bad, right or wrong, right? I'm not going to judge you for it. But I want to take it down to the mainstream yeah. people. Right? The mainstream people, you and I, right, and our co-workers, why are they not able to express themselves so openly? It is fear. It's so fear. It is insecurity. It is... Limiting beliefs, uh, trauma. Limiting beliefs. Like, it's we a can bunch go really of things. Deep. And really I had deep. it. I shared the examples with you. I had it. You know, because you, I was yeah. scared about it. If you look at a, let's say like an employee, right? Like let's say it's someone who's in the workplace and they really struggle with openly expressing their ideas. It could be fear, but then when you take it a step back, you could even ask yourself, okay, what was their family dynamic growing up? Did their parents tell them to shh, think before you speak or don't talk too much? Or were their parents just involved? Like, you know, all of that has such a big influence as you grow older on how you're expressing yourself because you could have fears that, oh, if I talk, no one will accept me because my parents disown me or my parents didn't accept me. And I think getting, I think the point I'm trying to make is it goes back to this level of having deep rooted curiosity and really questioning and asking yourself, what are all of the shit and what is all of the baggage that is just holding me back about my individuality and my self-expression? And what do, who do I want to be? because once you know who you want to be then it's very easy to reverse engineer and ask yourself okay what is holding me back where did this belief come from is this belief actually true and how can I actually and that is what you that's the hard work but you didn't know Simi when you were growing up who you want to be yeah when you are growing up you don't know when you were born you you, you don't know what you want to be but who you want to be is not necessarily a career it's just the, a personality who you are is going to be molded by your parents yeah by your sphere of influence who wh what's what system does your parent your parents expose you to do your parents expose you to an environment where it's a happy-go-lucky every Friday, everybody's partying? And I know some friends who did that. I know some that. people like that okay. too. Okay, is that, your, is that your fabric of growing up? Or every Friday or Saturday of the weekend, your parents are taking you to the museum one day, one weekend. 
to the park the other weekend, to the home for the aged the third weekend, to the zoo the other let's weekend. Let's pick one. Let's pick one for the sake of an example, right? Like, let's say you grew up in a family where every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, like your parents would take you out to Chili's and you'd get drinks and all this shit. And so like all the conversations you would have are like about sports or, or just pop culture, things that are technically a little bit superficial if that's the only conversation you're having as a kid who grows up how does that how could that manifest in a kid's individuality and their curiosity and even what aspirations they may have if their parents were just kind of being just partying too much like you know what i mean how does that how does that make the kid turn out but today thankfully that kid has choices because of social media many years yeah. ago it didn't now it's a good and a bad remember it is good and bad. when you were growing up i used to we used to have this internet modems where we could actually uh, you know doctor your time on the internet because say okay you only have so many minutes and you used to rebel we said oh you cannot go on the internet for for you know to dial up modem all this stuff no your, your internet time is limited your phone time is limited and you had phones when you were like really really young and we gave you phones we said you yeah know what? we did have phones we just young. gave you phones we gave you we gave you iphones when they first came out we gave you ipods when they first had it thankfully we could afford it even though it was tough but the point is that today those who are growing up have complete exposure to the internet good bad ugly technically good bad ugly Hmm? it's technically more dangerous Well, that's a debate of its own if you say that it's dangerous you come from your mold but the kids who are born today are in the post-covid world they're getting they're getting exposed to ai but some not all it's in the next two years the kids from your age and the kids in the next two years are going to be putting these yeah. these halo lenses and watching everything in the internet. You don't you wouldn't even see what they're watching. Yeah, As a that's parent, true. at least we could pry over your phone yeah. and see what you're watching. But you put these glasses on, you think as a parent you can watch what the kid is watching? No. no. Don't you think that kid has access to all the information? Everything from pornography to name it. And yeah. let's call a spade a spade. Kids have access to everything and if as yeah. a parent that you feel that they don't have access to it and you feel oh your kid is the greatest kid in the home you're in some la la land state of denial get it's real scary okay? now it's scary okay. now so how do you negate that the only way you, the only way you negate that is to is to elevate the family dynamics what is that word called nuclear family nuclear families you bring the density because let's you got together. Mom and I got together, not for the heck of getting together. We got together because we loved one. We loved each other. We said, okay, we'll raise a family. Mm-hmm. We brought you into the world. Now, if you just bring kids into the world and you don't want to spend, you don't want to understand the family dynamics and then you feel, oh, okay, great. Then good luck to you. And then you're just counting your days to say, oh, I can't wait till they graduate. No, no, no. It's not only graduate. I can't really wait till they leave leave my home. So why the heck did you even bring them in the first place? (laughs) (laughs) I have so many people who say that to me. Do they say that? I hear that all the time. Maybe, maybe, maybe it is said in a very joking way. In a benign way. But hey, listen, the way the reason you're saying this, if it's jocular and joking, I get it. But are you saying that to the kid? I don't know. I can't wait. Oh, I'm done. I'm an empty nester. Now I can do whatever I want to do. So did you take that as a responsibility? Did you take this as something that just happened? You got married. You had, you know, copulated. You had a kid and now you're, now. You're, oh, I can't wait because I brought a responsibility in this damn world. So you get the point. Yeah. The point is about kids today have exposure to everything. 
you cannot police them. I don't care how many laws and regulations and systems and processes you put in place. It's rules and rules and rules. And like the normal saying goes that rules are meant to be broken. If you're driving on a street, you know, you see a no stop sign, you, you, you cut the red light. And, oh, okay, I cut the red light. Oh, I was in a rush until you get caught by the cop. You are in the school system. There are rules. There are work systems. There are rules. At the home system, there are rules. Yep. You sleep at this time. You wake up at this time. You watch the TV. You don't watch the TV. You do this. So you are you saying parents should put those rules and enforce them on I the kids? I don't think so. I think. Oh, you're saying they should. I think rules should should come as a as an outcome of values. Yeah. That I value the rule, not enforce That's so the rule. That's so true. You know what's crazy, Dad? This is really deep because. I'm going to be honest with you because I'm brown, right? And I feel as a brown kid, our family as a whole, I felt like we were brown, but we weren't too brown in the sense of like ideologies, values, beliefs, how they're instilled in children. And I know so many girls, dad, that I grew up with where when they were younger, those parents of those girls and even boys, they were always policing them. Go to school. You can't go out. You can't meet your friends. So academics is number one. So they wouldn't have conversations related to puberty or wanting a relationship because they were so taboo. And I give it to the parents because those parents also came from India or other countries. And so it was taboo in their culture, which we I understand that. But what happens is when you raise a kid in America and that kid is going to school, they're meeting their friends, they're changing as a human being, they're going through puberty, they're finding who they are. And when they feel suppressed by their parents and when they feel like they can't even communicate to their parents, that freaking turns into rebellion. And I, I saw this. I, I saw this as a young girl because I, I knew I knew that this was happening in so many kids my age and like the people that we were family friends with. And then I look at them now and I'm noticing straight up, dad, that these girls that I used to grow up with, they're like, they're over-sexualizing themselves. They're more rebellious when they went to college. Like they were drinking and partying and getting drunk because their parents didn't teach them how to drink alcohol when they were younger. Like I had a roommate and she was Gujarati and then the other one was Pakistani. And when I met them, like they were really, really smart, wise girls, right? And I saw this in, in the other Indian community at my school too. And what I noticed is that, okay, they got to UF, no parent involvement, full freedom, can do whatever the hell they want. No parent is, is watching what they're doing. One of those roommates had, had a boyfriend and he was white and the parents would not approve of that. So she didn't tell her parents. But then when she would go party and stuff, she would get belligerent drunk. She had she was over, like, overly crazy. And so my point that I want to convey is that it go, I agree with you. Like a parent needs to be mindful of what rules that they're imposing on their kid and they have to develop the awareness to recognize that this shit is changing we are not in the 2000s 1900s like you need to adapt to what the culture is showing your kids right now because if you don't you're actually doing more harm to your kid because now you're making that kid feel like a misfit an outlier like they don't belong and I felt like that at points too not because of the parent not because of you guys but because I'm a brown girl who grew up in Miami I want to belong I want to fit in and looking back I realized that like oh my God, so many people had it way worse than I did. And I can see how that manifested and how they're acting right now. And it's just sad because when I look at them, I know it's because they have deep rooted layers of insecurity and maybe family trauma, who knows? And I think 
it goes back to like how do you know how do you know when when to like take a step back or when to let the kid make mistakes and flourish and learn from them and that is a that it's hard but I think maybe you can add to this for parents who struggle with that because I feel like you did a great job in creating rules and boundaries but also letting me and Rohit like make mistakes on our own because I remember I was not innocent like I was drinking smoking weed all this stuff but I knew I had family values that I could come back to that were integrity and self-respect and I knew that even if I messed up like I would always fall back into that because I was aware of what those family values were and I think maybe you can add to that for people who struggle with it yeah you know Simi there are three things that are just coming to my mind you know I wasn't perfect and I think for parents if I have to just share my my experience those who are parents today were kids of your age they were teenagers there's a biological process between between a boy and a girl that takes over during puberty right and then you become parents. Mm-hmm. And we have all in our own younger years done stuff that whether it is partying or, you know, all kinds of stuff that we do, right? Good or bad, right or wrong. And then we grow through the years and say, oh, you know what? I've learned mm-hmm. and this is not, this was not the right thing to do. Depending on what kind of an ecosystem you come from, you make those decisions for yourself, right? And then you become a parent and then you start imposing the same things that you did as a kid, as a youngster, on your kids, that's inauthenticity. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's, that's true. Practice what you preach. Now, I'm not saying if you screwed up, right, and you were caught drunk and driving, or you were doing whatever wrong and you caught, you were caught and you, you, hey, you couldn't make it. That doesn't mean that you tell the kids, hey, I was caught drunk and driving, so go do it. No. No. You share that as yes. a family value in an experience, in a story, and say, hey, listen, I want to share a story with you. I screwed up when I was growing up. Oh, that's so good. And I never had a coach. I never had a mentor. I was stupid. I was was an idiot. And I don't want you to do this. And I still remember once we were having lunch or dinner on a weekend, and there was this landscaper outside. It was like crazy hot. He was drenched in sweat, and mom was making brunch. And... I don't know, one of you said it or mom said, it, you know, we should give it to him. The guy is just like... Give like, him brunch? Give him food, right? And we used to always do that. Whoever used to give, we still do that, right? So we invited him in, we gave him brunch and all this stuff. And then I took that as a life lesson. You guys were so young. I, I don't think it. I told this to Roth. I said, listen, I tell you to do certain things, not because I'm forcing you to do this. It's you. But I want you to look at this guy outside. Why is he there? And why are you in the luxury of air conditioning having great food? Why? That's enough for a kid to reflect. Yeah. And so he reflected. I think it was Rohit who said that. I said, listen, I don't know what you want to do and what you would do. But the reason I say this for you to do this, because I would tell you, you should read this. You should watch the news. You should go go out in the community, do something. Don't sit in your tinsel land and la la land and think everything is hunky-dory. Why is that guy there making minimum wage, mowing the lawns when I could have done it? And you guys did for, for a great amount of time. And so the point here is, the experiences of a coach, of a leader, of a mentor, regardless of the workplace or in the family setting, is all about sharing your experiences, not preaching your experiences. I learned that as a value, as a part of evolution. So when you share it as an individual, then that comes in. Biology and biological phenomenons will take over. I don't care what you think. I don't care how it happens. It happens right so let's not that's life 
That's the evolution of life. If that didn't take over, we wouldn't have a population exactly. boom today. Right? Exactly. So, so let's 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 take reality as it is. So that is not the issue. The issue is about how you confront with yes. certain realities of life, and how you deal with certain realities of life. Now it goes back to the to the parents, right? To the to the Brown family, which is you said. Okay, how do you relate to them, right? Well, same thing. A brown parent, regardless of where they came from in society, right? They came from maybe parents who are very strict. They came from cultural ideologies. You got to wear this, do this, go here, go there. There is an intricate uh, culture in, in, in the brown... Cultural programming. Yeah, from, from a standpoint of saying, you shall become a professional, right? So right from the get-go, we are kind of, yeah, you know, pressured. putting this in the mind, pressurizing it. It's the fear of. It's the fear of. If you don't do this, it's almost like if you don't pray five times a day or you don't go to church on a Sunday or if you don't go to the temple uh, every yeah. week, oh, God's not going to be happy with you. So it's, if you start ruling your life, if values are being put into you with a fear of, if you don't, it's almost... How is it different from a robot if then else? If you don't do this, then that is what is going to happen. Are you making your kids robots indirectly if then else? Or are you going to let them flourish as human beings with emotions, right? Mm -hmm. Because think about it. AI world. AI is going to take over the world. All that stuff is happening. But AI is about humans. Yeah. AIs are not going to behave like humans. So to the parents, I think the answer to your question is, let them flourish. Give them your experiences that you've learned and just watch them flourish and blossom. Be there to let them stumble and fall and then pick them up and then push them five steps ahead. Yeah. Let them stumble and fall That's deep. and push them five steps ahead. That's so deep. And I think so many people, even if you're a kid, right? Because I know if, if a person's watching this, they're going to resonate with the perspective of a kid, but then they're also going to be able to learn, okay, when I'm a parent... I know to approach parenting this way or raising kids this way or just showing up in life this way. So I think that dichotomy of perspective is just so powerful for a listener. I'm just so excited to see what people say about it. Absolutely. It, the, child it, it should be, the child, Simi, should be in a position. And I'm not saying you guys were there. I was a strict parent. You a were strict, a strict parent, a strict dad, yeah. Because that's the way I was brought up. Yeah. That's the way, even though I you lost were. my, I, even though my, I lost my dad at a at a younger age, but I still feel that I was an outlier in the Brown family of parents. Oh, you were because I, we let you do everything you wanted to do. There, you know, there's three types of parenting styles, right? I learned this in my psychology what class. Are they? I don't there's know. authoritative, which is what you were, like you exactly what you described, what how every parent should be. In psychology, they say to be an authoritative parent to raise like the most well-rounded, emotionally intelligent kid, and then there's authoritarian, which is where where you're like overstepping on the kid, which can result in rebellion and making the child fearful. And then there's this other one. It starts with the P. It's like when you're detached from the child. I think it's pest. Someone, one of the viewers will tell me this. I forgot. But it starts with the P, I think. And that's when you're just very uninvolved from the child. So then the child is just going to turn crazy because they have no parental influence on them and then they'll make mistakes but also it could result in the kid also flourishing later on because they're aware of that lack of involvement so i think it's it's getting clear of which parenting style you are and maybe i'll link those three different types in the comments section so i can make sure i remember and people can remember it's about getting clear which one you are and then making sure you're just approaching life with the right parenting style which is just cool uh, to think about to me it is about there's nothing right there's no wrong no amount of parenting books you read and try you, to yeah, implement it is not sure. going to work because 
you have certain life experiences that I don't, meaning parents, right? And you have to then bring them on to the kid. The whole idea here is about you have to be curious all your life. And your experiences from the past coupled with things that you're learning today is what you're pushing into the kid. And if you build those family dynamics, the child is going to always come back to you and, and seek you, look at you as a mentor, as a coach. And as a friend. As a friend. Yeah. Right. So there is this phase in that journey where the kid is going through hormonal changes and yeah. puberty and they've had enough of you as a parent. They want to back away. They want you back away. And so it's important at that point to also recognize that. That let them flourish. Fall. I want you to fall. You fell a couple of times. Yep. Right? And But we were there. We were there right behind you. We knew you were falling. That's the best part. That's so... That makes me emotional. That's the best part. Because you were rebellious. You were going through this process of evolution. And if I had... If we would have curtailed it... We wouldn't have had this dynamics today. You think we would have had this dynamics? You were probably sitting in some la-la land... Saying, hey, my dad was a screwball. I used to be embarrassed, honestly. I remember I used to be embarrassed, like, growing up and going to school because I was Indian and I felt like I hated being Indian. I would pretend to be Spanish. And I remember, like, when we would have parent-teacher conferences or, like, you would get invited to an event at school, I'd be like, oh, my God, like, let me get away from my parents. Like, I don't want to be affiliated. <laughs> it's just so sad, right? And I know a lot of people actually, a lot of kids actually relate to that. I, mean, I thought I was the only one, but I know a lot of people do. And I just, as a life lesson, like, your parents could either, you could either live that way against your parents and I get some people don't have the best relationship with their parents like they were unfortunate but like don't ever like view life being embarrassed of your parents like that is just the stupidest thing you could ever and, and do it takes a while to make you realize that and on that note I think you said the best thing for for this for this episode I think it's not about parents it's also a message to the kids and I think you have a moral obligation to convey this not just to the empowered women that we talked about, but also the young girls and the young guys out yeah. there, right? Because having your parents around you is a blessing, right? And you only realize this way ahead in your when life. You're to older. Say, oh my God, you know, blah, blah, blah. I was like this, I was like that, right? Whatever. So you have to recognize that your parents did what they did within the confines of what they know they know you know what you know you don't know what and you, you can't resent them for it exactly so that's a part of for some sadly it is healing later on that you know i wish my parents were there yeah. i wish my parents told me this well heal with it because there's something that you have in you that a robot doesn't have which is a brain <laughs> and you can go and sharpen your brain at any point if you have the thirst and the appetite and the fear in your belly. And if you don't, then you're a dumb animal. I'm sorry, not a dumb animal. I shouldn't say that because I have a nice dog and I call him dumb sometimes. Dumb animal. Yeah, sorry. Take that back. Cut that out. Cut that out. Poor Spark. I love him to death. If you enjoyed this episode, you share it with the people you love. Subscribe to us. We're posting weekly weekly episodes. I'm it's so excited weekly. for them. It's weekly. As long as I get my glass of wine. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm definitely tipsy. Let's close it out and finish Cheers. it.